You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online and in iTunes because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. On today's show, we are going to be talking about how you can learn from your trading mistakes and start transitioning into new habits. And although we'll focus a little bit on trading towards the end of this podcast and this main section that we're going to be starting with, the whole idea here is just figuring out how we can learn from our mistakes, not only figure out what they are and kind of recognize them and acknowledge them, but also start transitioning into new habit forming and uh, using new cues and new routines to build new habits. Now, I want to ask you guys a question just for one second here. Play along with me that you are wherever you're listening to this. If you're out on a jog or at the gym or in your car, if I were to ask you right now, how does it feel if you were wrong at anything? So if I said, you know what, you're wrong, or if you realize you're wrong in something, how do you immediately feel when I just say that? And I know I feel like, you know, a little bit like thumbs down, kind of embarrassed, a little depressed, like you almost like shrug your shoulders just a little bit and try to duck your head. So if anybody ever says, you just like try this on somebody today, just say, you know what, you're wrong. And then joke around, laugh with them and say, sorry, I was just trying it. But see how they react when you say that. Because immediately when you tell people that they're wrong or that they feel like they're wrong, we start to break down inside. We don't think that it's cool. We start to become embarrassed and, you know, subjective to ourselves and, you know, start to think that we're lesser human beings than we really maybe are. So the idea here is that since we don't ever want to be wrong, we end up trying to become these perfect A students all over the place. And actually, I think society in general teaches us not to make mistakes, right? Kids get rewarded for having perfect scores on tests and they get rewarded for filling out the application perfectly, right? There's no reward for trying something and failing, but then learning from that experience and then trying something again, right? And maybe succeeding half of the way or succeeding 50% of the way. It's really kind of weird, you know, dynamic that we have right now where, you know, like schools and society in general really kind of still like shames people for being wrong and making mistakes. And so to that end, we all try to be perfect. We try to do everything perfect. We try to be perfect people and perfect students and perfect husbands and fathers and mothers and kids. And we know that that can't happen, right? We don't live in a perfect world. And our reality never matches what we think in our head is the perfect environment. So what do we do when this happens, right? Well, we end up finding out that we're wrong. We just then insist that everyone else is right, right? So that's the easy defense mechanism. Like, I'm not wrong. It's actually you. Like, you need to change on your end, right? And that makes us feel smart and responsible and we feel victorious and safe. And we might yell at that person or shout or use vulgar commentary just to really prove our point because we're in charge and we know what's going on, right? But the end result is that somewhere deep down inside, you maybe realize that you're wrong or you've done something different that you shouldn't have done, but somehow you just like still feel like you need to fight through it because you need to prove that you're right. And I 100% struggle with this. Like I tell you guys, honestly, anybody who's in my family, and if you ever listen to this podcast and you're in my family right now, people will raise their hand and be like, yep, Kirk is definitely like that. Or I guess I hopefully was more like that in the past that I am right now. But I always wanted to be right. Like I just, I don't know what maybe my raising, my complex I had like growing up, I always had a chip on my shoulder about everything. 
And so that caused me to always feel like I was right about stuff and and then take the next step in finding out why I was right and then proving it, right? And so I struggled with this too. But I think the reality is, is that we have to learn from our mistakes, right? And as much as this is about trading, and I wanted to get to some of the trading stuff too, because I'll share with you guys my two, you know, kind of big mistakes I've made recently over the last couple of years. I want to share with you guys those, but it's more about just understanding and recognizing and kind of embracing the fact that we're not perfect and that we do make mistakes. And it's actually the higher road, taking the higher path to acknowledge that you made a wrong decision, or maybe you did something you shouldn't have done, or maybe you used a strategy you shouldn't have used, figure out what that was, and then actually correct it and move on, right? So it'd be like driving down the road with flat tires, and then just swearing up and down to everyone that you, like whatever God you believe in, that those tires are not flat, right? Like eventually the wheels are just going to fall off and you're going to crash. But by God, if you actually just swear it up and down and you tell everyone, you know what, you guys are wrong. The tires are not flat. They're fine. You know, we've got enough tread life. We can make it. Eventually things are going to fall apart. It's just a matter of time, right? You could get a mile down the road, you get 10 miles down the road, but you're still not doing the right stuff, right? And so it's the person who acknowledges this and says, okay, well, I'm going to pull off the side of the road. I'm going to fix these flat tires and then we're going to get on our way. And yes, it might be an inconvenience right now. And yes, we might have to you know, pull the family off the side of the road and everyone get out and I got to pull the spare tire out of the back end. But ultimately it's the right decision. And that's how I honestly think about it right now. I think about it as an inconvenience, but ultimately getting me on the right path. And so for that reason, I'll share with you guys kind of my two biggest like mistakes that I've made basically in trading. And I'm really sad that I made these, but I I didn't know that I was making them until I sought out to figure out what it was and to kind of recognize it and shed some light on it. And I've talked about it before, but I'll talk about it here again. Now, before I do, I want to read you guys a little snippet from Catherine Schultz, who did a TED Talk in 2011 on this. And you can find her talk on uh, the TED Talk website. It's under On Being Wrong is the discussion. It's a really wonderful you know topic and, and discussion. It just kind of goes through this. I want to read a little quote and snippet from it. It's about like 20 minutes long. I really encourage you guys to go there and and check it out. But it's about on this whole idea of being wrong and like why we do it and the feelings that we have inside. And, you know, it's really, I think for trading and for investors, it's much more of a game of psychology than anything else. So this is a really key topic that I wanted to hit on. So she said there, she goes, well, think about for a moment what it means to feel right. It means that you think that your beliefs are just perfectly reflecting the reality. And when you feel that way, you've got a problem to solve, which is how are you going to explain it to all these other people who disagree with you? So as it turns out, most of us explain those people the same way by restoring a series of unfortunate assumptions. So the first thing we usually do is when someone disagrees with us is we just assume that they're ignorant, right? And they don't have access to the same information that we do. And when we generously share the information with them, they're going to see the light and come over to our team. Well, that doesn't work, right? When it turns out that these people have all the same facts that we have, they still disagree with us. And then we move on to the second stage of assumption, which is that they're just idiots. So they have the right pieces of puzzle. They are too moronic to put them together correctly. And when that doesn't work out, when it turns out that people who disagree with us have all the same facts that we do and are actually pretty smart, then we move on to the third assumption that they know the truth and they are deliberately distorting it for their own mischievous purposes. And this is catastrophic, end quote. I think this is really interesting. The dynamic that people go through when they have discussions about trading, politics, raising kids, investing, it's funny because to me, 
What she points out here is this understanding of having the same information. Like everyone's looking at the same information. But what I've realized later in life now is that we're all looking at the same information through a different pair of glasses. So it doesn't matter how much we try to get them to look and really focus on it. They're just ultimately looking through a different pair of glasses than we are. They have a different background. They have a different upbringing. And so although we want people to have the same information that we do and want to come to the same conclusions, they generally don't. And this is what leads, I think, in the case of trading to people actually making trading mistakes, right? So they look at somebody and they say, oh, well, you've got to do it this way. Or you hear somebody say, you've got to do it this way. You've got to do it this way. But ultimately, there's a lot of different paths to go down that can lead towards the same destination. Everybody doesn't have to do it the same way. I've run into this an insane amount in running Option Alpha, where people will email me and say, I saw this case study, or I saw this thing, or I saw this person, and they said, you have to do it this way. And my response is generally that you should be doing things in a framework series, meaning, and I'll just use like context to hopefully prove this point. When I talk about trading, I talk about trading and being a net seller of options. I think it's something you have to do. Does that mean that you can't buy options? No. You can buy options if you want to adjust or you want to hedge a trade, but you generally will have to be a net seller of options. So that's the wiggle room. It's like, you know, look, if you want to buy options, great. Buy options over there, but hedge it with something else. I also talk about having a diversified and well-balanced portfolio, having a beta neutral portfolio. I don't care what the makeup of that portfolio is. So some people say, oh, Kirk, you have to trade the indexes. No, you don't. You can trade ETFs and you can trade stocks and you can trade this. And then other people will say to me, Kirk, you've got to trade stocks. Why are you trading ETFs so much? And I say to them, no, you don't. It's not about what you're actually doing. It's not about you have to do this and you have to do this. It's about the framework that you're doing it under. And I get frustrated sometimes because I feel like people have a lot of this information, they still disagree. And they're like, no, 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 I have to trade stocks. But what I've realized over time is that that's okay. They have a different lens that they're looking through and they, they're they okay. They're still going to be okay if they do it their way. It may not be the exact way that I do it, but at least they're going down the right path, right? They're, they're doing it the right way. So hopefully this helps out. As far as the two big trading mistakes that I've made, in the past couple of years, I can point out two major things and they really eat away at me still even to this day because I feel like I should have seen these things earlier on, but I just didn't know. I mean, like that's that's really what it comes down to. I'm in constant search of data and analytics and you know stuff that would prove to me what things are. And it was hard for me to make this transition. And for those of you who have been with us for a while, you've seen this before and you could even go back even in uh, video updates back, say, you know, four or five years and start really looking and seeing the difference that we made as far as trading. But when I originally started trading, I knew how important implied volatility was. In fact, I started talking about implied volatility before many of the other brokers and websites that are out there that are very popular talking about options trading were even registered. I mean, before they even registered their domain names, I was talking about this. I knew implied volatility was insanely important. And what I did is I would only trade during high implied volatility situations, only. And that was a big mistake now looking back on it. And it wasn't a mistake because it was the wrong thing necessarily to do. It's just I didn't have all the information to actually make the right decision, which was that you should generally trade all the time. Even during low implied volatility, you want to scale back your position size, but still stay active. So what I used to do is I used to only trade during high implied volatility. That means that I would literally take three or four or five months off completely, no trades during the year when implied volatility was still low. 
And then when implied volatility was high, I would just like plow into everything. I'd take a lot of positions, every single ticker symbol I could get my hands on. And it just ended up becoming this like feast or famine type of situation, which I didn't appreciate. And that kind of led me down the path of buying lots of data, figuring out what strategies work, starting to backtest more stuff, starting to really dig into it a lot more than I had previously. So that's the first one, the first major mistake that I made. And look, it took a while for me to transition. And then as I started transitioning out of that, I had to you know, let people know and let members know and write up case studies about why I was doing it, right? Why we were trading more often when I had said forever that we have to only trade during high implied volatility. I mean, I even have videos still on YouTube that are like 10 years old now that say you should absolutely emphatically not trade under 50% IV, right? And those videos are still out there. And I leave them out there, not because I want people to get the wrong information, just I don't feel like I should take down stuff that's part of my journey, part of my process. So I've learned and grown as a trader, and I'm going to leave that stuff up there as a reminder to myself and other people that you can make mistakes and you can transition into new habits, new ways of doing things, especially in trading. And that's okay. As you get more information, as you become more sophisticated, you can start to transition yourself into becoming a better trader. So the second major mistake that I had was generally not holding things long enough for profits. Now, this just started last year when we finished up our whole profit matrix research. And you've probably heard me talk about this ad nausea, but it really is important. The one thing that I took away from the profit matrix research where we back tested millions of option strategies, pulled all the information together, took months and months and months to put together. The one thing that I learned is that there is a correlation between holding trades a little bit further than our general profit targets and the overall returns that you see on an account after five or 10 years. And that's a really big change because again, a lot of people see our videos right now and they say, Kirk, you tell me to take off everything at a 25 or 50% profit target. And I took it off and you still have the trade on. Why is that? Right. And I've got to explain why that is. And I've created videos and guides and all that stuff around that. But the reason that we do that now is because of what we now learn, because I realized that hey, we were doing it okay, taking things off at 25 and 50% profit targets, but we could have done exceptionally better had we just held a little bit longer. Maybe not all the way to expiration, but maybe a trade that should have been a 50% profit target, now we should hold to 60, 65%, right? And hold it just a little bit longer and try to stay in the trade a little bit longer and squeeze a little bit more out of it because you know what? At the end, it's gonna pay off big to do that. And so that means in the meantime, we might have some more fluctuations, right? Might sacrifice win rate just a little bit on the way to getting there. But overall, it's going to create the highest possible Kager scenario. That's a hard one for me to get over. I had to explain to a lot of people like I'm doing right now on this podcast why we were doing it before. And now we have new information. That means we need to transition to doing things differently and new habits. And that's really tough for people. I think when people listen to this, hopefully what you guys are getting out of this is that it's okay to say that you did something different before and you need to change it and do it better this time. And I don't think that it should be just a whimsical change. I haven't really made that many changes in my trading plan, philosophy, style over the past 10 years. But when I do, it's because I need to make an adjustment and something is compelling me to do that. 
I've either got a lot of data, there's a new dynamic in the market, an introduction of say weekly or eventually you think daily options will be available in the future sometime. When that happens, then I need to make a transition when something compels me to do it and there's enough research and backing and math behind it to say, yes, this is the new way to go forward. The old way we need to shift and abandon to some degree and move towards this new habit. I understand that that can be tough. And I think that for people who are transitioning from, say, stocks to options or even just slightly doing options to our way of trading options, that's tough because you start abandoning things. You got to explain it to your spouse, your significant other, you know, why you're selling all your stocks and now starting to trade options. But it's really worth it. And I think it's it's worth the effort and the process to go through it. On that note, I will tell you guys, I 100% believe that what we're doing right now with our auto trading platform and the crowdsource technology around this that I've mentioned a million times now is literally going to make a shift in how I trade in the future. And I don't know what that shift is yet, but I'm excited to be wrong about some of the ways that we're doing things or be wrong that there are not other opportunities that I have not yet found in the market that other people are finding. I've learned over time that our best resource as a community, and I'm like literally speaking to me and you who are listening to this right now in our Option Alpha community, is the collective crowdsourced intelligence of all of the people inside our community. It's people like me and you who now have the ability to make trades, to build systems and bots around trading strategies, and then share them with the rest of the community creates a huge opportunity for us unlike what we've ever seen in this industry before. And that means that I have to be willing to be wrong in how I'm doing things now, maybe for the sake of somebody else who could possibly do it better that we just never even knew about. And I think that's generally going to happen. I think there's people who are going to come out of the woodwork, if you will, from our community and have just a killer strategy that I just never knew anything about. Maybe a volatility strategy or an earning strategy or a a dividend strategy. I mean, there's going to be something that comes out of this that really gets us excited and then we're going to backtest the the daylights out of it and kind of verify and vet it. And then if it's legit, I'm going to start transitioning over to it or start adding it to my, you know, bag of tricks basically in trading. But I think that having the humbleness, I guess, to say that I know I'm eventually going to be wrong in some way, shape or form. And I'm okay with that because it's for the greater good, because I want to improve the whole community. And if I'm too stubborn to say nobody else can do better than me, nobody else is a better trader than me, then that doesn't help any of us. It doesn't help myself. It doesn't help you guys. It doesn't help anybody else in the community. I know that there are really good traders that are part of this community. We have over 100,000 people now. They're really, really good traders, very profitable traders. I'm trying to flush them out. I want to see which ones are really good. I want to see the strategies that are really good. And that means that I've got to be willing to be wrong in some of the things that I believe in right now or some of the ways that I trade right now in favor of maybe better opportunities in the future. So hopefully this helps out. I know this was a little bit different style of podcast than we usually do. If you guys enjoyed this, let me know. Add a comment to the comment page on the show notes at optionalpha.com slash show 134, or just shoot me an email, shoot me a tweet, a text message, whatever you want to do just to get in touch with me. I really hope that this helped out. It was a little bit different than what we usually talk about, but I think it's really, really important about how we can learn from our mistakes and then, again, just be acceptable and open to transitioning to something new and not feeling like we have to be perfect all the time because we're not. And it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to find a new path and start going down that new path and and be really just a much better person and take the higher road. 
And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hey, Kirk. My name is Jason. I am from Portland, Oregon. I have been trading options for just over a year and I've been following your service for about the same period of time and just wanted to say thank you for all the material that you put out and all the tips and advice that you have to offer. My question is around futures options, comma. I got the quarterly magazine that Thinkorswim publishes and sends out to members. And one of the articles in there this time around was a brief overview and explanation of futures options and how they work. So I was just curious to hear your take on it. I've heard that the commissions can be on the high end, but it seems like something worth looking into. So any information you have to offer would be appreciated. Thanks. All right, Jason. First of all, man, thank you so much for being a member for over a year. Really appreciate it. We've got a lot of people who are like you in similar boat that have been members for a long time. And I, I truly am always humbled by that. I appreciate that very much and always keeps me going. So in your questions on futures, I mean, I think the commissions for some brokers seem high for futures contracts, but for many brokers, the commissions on futures shouldn't be drastically different than what you have in commissions for just regular contracts. I know for like TD Ameritrade, et cetera, you can trade still futures options with generally the same commission as you can trade regular options. So there shouldn't be that much of a difference in it. You can negotiate that down. Obviously, that's going to be a key component is being able to negotiate those contracts a little bit lower than maybe you're at right now, but it shouldn't be dramatically different. As far as my take on generally trading futures options, I think it's a really good avenue for larger accounts. So we talked about this in one of the previous shows that we did where we talked about transitioning to larger, bigger accounts and how you can start basically tweaking your strategy and show, I think 121 was the one that we talked about tweaking for larger accounts. I think that's where futures options really come into play. There's a lot of liquidity in some of the bigger contracts, which helps out, but the pricing and just understanding the differences between the contracts, say the E-minis versus the NASDAQs versus crude oil, et cetera, there's a lot of little things in there that can be tricky and can slip people up. And so it's not the norm. It's definitely something that I think is an acquired taste, if you will, for options traders. Now that said, I've done a lot of futures trading on options myself, but I don't post those anymore as part of our trading that we do at Option Alpha, mainly because when we started doing some of those a couple of years ago and we started posting them, it just got really confusing for people that feel like they couldn't trade the contracts, feel like they got left out. So the bulk of what I do now is not futures focused, though I think in the future, not, no pun intended, we'll have some bots that are just strictly futures options bots that people can go in. And if you want to start doing futures options, you can do that with one of our bots or one of our bot templates. But right now, everything I do right now is still focused on ETF stocks, indexes, etc. We'll leave the futures options for a later date once we get some more technology out there for you guys. So hopefully this helps out. As always, if you guys enjoyed this answer, but have a question of your own and you want to get that question answered by me here on this podcast or in our daily call podcast or on Facebook and doing a Facebook live, please head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask and click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install 
and it's incredibly easy. So let's get into the closing bell segment today where we are going to talk about a new position we got into in XLU. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so today we got into a new position here in our good old friend XLU, which is a utilities ETF. So those of you who are not familiar with it, XLU, um, fairly liquid. It's not insanely liquid, but more than liquid enough for what we need to do. And we like trading XLU because as a utilities ETF, it's not that volatile. At least it hasn't been that volatile in the past. And generally trades range bound. And so you can get some pretty good premium and generally trade some pretty good options around it. Now we're starting to sell our first set of contracts out 45 days now for XLU. And we're selling the 52 call options and the 51 put options. The stock right now is trading at about 51 and a half. So we're doing a very tight iron condor, almost like an iron butterfly. An iron butterfly would be the exact same short strikes. In this case, we're selling the 52 calls and the 51 puts, trying to neutralize our directional impact on this thing as much as possible. So very tight iron condor. And then we're going out on either end and buying the 55 calls and buying the 46 put options. And those are each a couple pennies, about seven cents and nine cents respectively. So very, very cheap protection for this position. Now, the goal with this position would be to use our credit that we took in of $144 net, and that's net between all the buying and selling that we've done, and see if we can hopefully get XLU to trade about in a $3 range up or down from our short strikes. So we have a pretty good range here. It's about $4 overall that we're looking for XLU to trade in, including our short strikes. And so I think we can have that accomplished. I mean, the last two months or three months or so, XLU has generally been channeling and trading in about a $2 range. So I think it's highly likely that we have a trade like this generally work out. It's got about a 65, 68% probability of success. So a pretty decent probability of success and a good position to add that's neutral, risk-defined. You can do this in any style of account, margin, IRA, et cetera. It's just a very small position to get started. Now, this is our first position for the expiration month, but we'll look to add new laddered positions as XLU either goes up or down. So we're only starting here with a couple contracts, and then we'll start laddering into more contracts as we start to see if XLU moves a little bit. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so I truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show, like I mentioned earlier, and at least got one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, some links mentioned in the show, and some related video training from today's show by going to optionalpha.com slash show 134. Again, that's just the number 134, optionalpha.com slash show 134. Until next time, happy trading.